Well, we are in a series of messages from the Psalms, but not just any Psalms. We're looking at the Psalms of Lamentation. And so we're calling this series Songs from a Broken Heart. And today we're going to look at the darkest, darkest Psalm of them all. So go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 88. And while you're turning there, I want to give you an assignment. When I read it here in a minute, I want you to listen and look at it and see if you can discern what is unique about this psalm that makes it unlike any other psalm that we've looked at so far. There's something unique today. Same series, but this one is unique. Stand together with me in honor of God's word as I read Psalm chapter 88. O Lord, God of my salvation, I've cried out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to the grave. I am counted with those who go down to the pit I'm like a man who has no strength, adrift among the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, and who are cut off from your hand. You have laid me in the lowest pit, in darkness, in the depths. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you have afflicted me with all your waves. Silah. You have put away my acquaintances far from me. You've made me an abomination to them. I am shut up and I cannot get out. My eye wastes away because of affliction. Lord, I've called daily upon you. I've stretched out my hands to you. Will you work wonders for the dead? Shall the dead arise and praise you? Selah. Shall your loving kindness be declared in the grave or your faithfulness in the place of destruction? Shall your wonders be known in the dark and your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But to you, I have cried out, O Lord. And in the morning, my prayer comes before you. Lord, why do you cast off my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? I have been afflicted and ready to die from my youth up. I suffer your terrors. I am distraught. Your fierce wrath has gone over me. Your terrors have cut me off. They came around me all day long like water. They engulfed me all together. Loved one and friend you've put far from me and my acquaintances into darkness. The word of the Lord. And all of God's people said, you may be seated. Now, did you see anything unique about this psalm that makes it stand out from all the others we've looked at so far? It has the same level of complaining and, and expressing emotions over suffering and sorrow and brokenness in this world. But did you see anything unique about this one? There's no turning. Have you noticed how excited I've gotten every time I've preached one of these chapters where I'm not, now look at verse 10, look at verse 10 because here's the turning point. There is no turning point. There's no resolution to his anguish. In fact, the NIV translation, the last phrase of verse 18 at the end of this chapter in the NIV says... Darkness is my closest friend, period. Is this a mistake? Should this not have made it in the Bible? Should we cut it out of our Bibles? Why would God give us a chapter this dark? I'll tell you why I think we have a chapter this dark. Because there are things that you can learn in the dark that you cannot learn in the light. 
There are things you can learn in the dark that you cannot learn on the mountaintop, surrounded by sunshine, with the bracing winds of God's grace filling the sails of your life with hope. So here's the first thing I want you to see that I think we can learn from this chapter. Number one, Psalm 88 shows us the reality of just how dark you could still feel and how long it could last, even as a believer. In other words, don't think this could never happen to you. Don't turn away from this chapter and say, oh, I don't know what's going on there. Whew. Don't think this could never happen to you, my friend. Psalm 88 is in the Bible for a reason, several, that we're going to talk about. But one of the reasons I do believe is to prepare us, to prepare us for the very real possibility of a season like this in our lives. Even after we come to faith in Christ, it could happen. Don't hear me saying, I hope it happens to you. Don't hear me saying... I know before Christ returns and you die, it will happen to you, but it could happen to you. And just like we've been showing with Asaph and the other psalmist, this is not an immature believer. Don't push this over there and say, well, yeah, yeah. Until you get in a good Bible teaching church and start memorizing scripture and start praying and fasting and get in a small group, this kind of darkness could happen to you. But after you're doing the spiritual disciplines and you've got traction in your life, this would never happen. Not true. Haman and the sons of Korah are the authors together of this. Haman was one of the top worship leaders like Asaph. I know you're starting to think, these worship leaders, oh my goodness. They need medicine. Are they all? I know, I know. You know how artsy people are. (laughs) Haman, this is Haman. He's one of the top worship leaders. And the sons of Korah, here's what I think is interesting. The sons of Korah have already had a greatest hits album. They wrote Psalm 84. If you go back through your Psalms and look at the little titles, sons of Korah did Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord. I'd rather, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to spend a thousand years outside in the lands of wickedness. The sons of Korah wrote Psalm 46. God is a refuge and a very present help in trouble therefore we will not fear though the mountains they've had a greatest hits album already and yet i'm going to date myself but whenever you bought an album praise god now for playlists and i just buy the songs i like and leave but when we used to buy albums there was always one or two songs like oh what's going on there don't like it psalm 88 (laughs) sometimes you'd buy it and say that's not one of their greatest hits they just put other songs on there Sons of Korah and Haman are mature believers with a history of God's faithfulness and they have led other people to praise him. And yet here is this dark moment. Well, as I'm going to talk in a minute, it's not a moment. That's that's the point I want to make next. There's something else worth noting about this darkness of Psalm 88 that makes it unlike other places that's talking about sorrow and suffering And it's this, when it happens to you, if it does, I'm not wishing it upon you, but when it happens to you, don't assume it will always end quickly. Oh, listen, I know many times we we live in a fallen, broken world. We we run into periods of darkness and they most often always do lift quickly. We work through it, we think through it, we pray through it, we reach out to others, we do those things we've learned to do as a believer and often it lifts quickly. But listen to me, Psalm 88 is in the Bible to prepare us for when it does not lift quickly. When darkness drags on. Psalm 88 is in the Bible for that. See, all the Psalms of Lamentation are in a minor key. They're all about suffering. They're all about the emotions that we feel when we're in the middle of suffering as we go through it. But Psalm 88 seems to be talking about a prolonged suffering or a chronic illness or a period of years where it seems like one trial after another just keeps slamming into your life 
and you just can't even catch your spiritual breath before the next one arrives. The John MacArthur Study Bible. Say, Brad, Brad, how are you getting this? Well, the John MacArthur Study Bible, in his notes regarding the title, those little words at the beginning of the chapter, Mahalath Leonath, that, that Hebrew phrase right there, could refer to a musical instrument. But the word Mahalath in the Hebrew could also be symbolic of a chronic illness or a prolonged suffering. Because the word Mahalath means anguish, to be in anguish or to writhe. I'll tell you where else I'm getting it. Look at verse 15. Verse 15 seems to be indicating that whatever he is going through, we don't know what it is. He doesn't say what it is. Whatever he's going through, it's been going on for a long time. Verse 15, I have been afflicted and ready to die from my youth up. He's not a teenager. He's not a young person. But whatever it is, has been going on for years, decades even. So listen to me, this chapter is not a chapter that's describing a long night of suffering. We experience those, do we not? A long night of suffering. It's not even, I don't believe, a chapter that's describing the worst year of your life. Oh, that was the worst year of my life, 2015. I believe that this chapter is describing a season of years, maybe even decades of suffering and sorrow and confusion. And here's why I so don't wish it wasn't in the Bible. Because in a church family this size and a room this full, there are people sitting right here that know exactly what that feels like. You might be here struggling with infertility desperately wanting a child of your own while you watch young couples have babies and some of them don't even seem to be excited about having them but you desperately want one and you're crying out and you're looking to God and even maybe even medical help and it just doesn't change you might be hearing it's it's one failed adoption process after another with the paperwork and all that it involves and the cost and the money and maybe even traveling to the country and it all looks like it's about to happen this child's about to be your child and, and even so, my heart goes out the number of times that the child's in the home and then is taken back oh my word and you've cried out and prayed and hoped and maybe you're here and you've spent years now of sleepless nights tossing and turning and worrying over an adult son or daughter who's not doing well, who's not making good choices and you lose sleep over where they are, what they're doing, who they're with or sometimes in many cases you don't even know where they are. There is no contact you don't know where they are and what they're doing. And you're not sure which is, which is worse. Knowing where they are and what they're doing. Because sometimes social media will keep you up on that. What can be so distressing. Or not knowing. But either one. Oh, it's a sorrow that you carry with you. And it's gone on for years. And you see other people's young adults come to faith in Christ and get saved and you keep hoping yours will be next. Something will happen. There'll be a turning and you're praying, God, rescue them. God, be merciful. God, turn their lives around. But this has gone on for years, maybe even decades. Maybe you're living with an alcoholic or someone who abuses drugs and you're watching someone you knew and loved become someone you don't even recognize anymore. That you don't even, and you're watching them destroy themselves as well as wreak havoc on your home and family. It's impacting you. And it's gone on for years or decades. And you're praying, oh God, help. Oh God, work. Oh God, deliver. Maybe you're waking up every day in a marriage that breaks your heart more than it does lift your load in life. And you've tried to get help. You've prayed. You've cried out to God and there just seems to be no answers for you guys, for you. 
It just seems like, why is there no help for it? Why does this not get better for us? There's no breakthrough. Or maybe you're here and you're grieving the death of a child. Or a parent. Or a spouse, a husband or wife that you spent decades with. You became one You hardly knew what life was like without them, but now you get to live every day without them. And the absence of their presence in your life, in your home, is still just so raw. And it stings, and it doesn't go away in a a weekend or even a year. And you're crying out to God. Maybe you're here today, and despite all the medical advances we enjoy in America today... You're one of thousands now of men and women who are living with some kind of chronic illness that makes everyday life, just the simple little basic things in life, very painful, very slow, very difficult. And doctors have either said, we don't know what's wrong. Tests don't show anything. We don't know. Or they're saying we do know. And there aren't good answers. Listen, if that's you here today, and I suspect it could be more than a hundred or more of you, this chapter is in the Bible for you. It's a gift of God. For you. The Holy Spirit wrote it for you. This has been in our Christian songbook all these years. It gets ignored a lot. (laughs) But it's been in our Christian songbook all these hundreds of years. So that you will still have a song to sing. And could say. Yes. That's how I feel. That's how I feel. Granted. When you're really suffering. And you're confused. We would love deliverance. Right? And we would love an explanation. But do you not also find it a comfort? Is there anybody that understands how this feels? There's a great comfort when someone just connects you with a friend or someone who says, yes. This is that chapter that says, yes, I get it. I know what you're feeling like. I've said some of the same things that you've said. I've thought some of the same hard thoughts towards God that you've thought I've had some of the same confusion that you've had. Not a night of suffering, not the worst year of my life, but... What is going on? This psalm is a gift for anyone who's experiencing some kind of prolonged suffering, chronic illness, or period of years where it just seems like one trial is piled on top of another trial. To the point that your soul is in turmoil. It has affected you spiritually. It would, right? Your theology is, is, is confused and you're struggling because you're more aware of the absence of God and unanswered prayers than his presence and his comfort. Last week in my message, I referred back to the book of Job. And I pointed you to chapters 38 to 42 as an example of where Job doesn't get any explanations to his questions. But instead God gives him a greater revelation of who God is in the midst of the pain and suffering. And that is one of the greatest takeaways from the book of Job. But here's what I would say to you today. We can be so guilty, especially as human beings, but also as Americans. Just cut to the chase. Why would we have, think about it. Job is 42 chapters long for a reason. Don't skip the first 37 chapters. Oh, it's, it's, it wanders. There's delays. There's pauses. It's ugly. It's not all cleaned up. It doesn't all sound like the right theology. Some days he's got great theology. Though he slay me, yet will I praise him. He falls on the ground in worship. And yet other days he's like, God, if you were here, if I could just have five minutes of your time, if I could call you into court, this makes no sense. I wish I had a mediator. I wish I had someone to represent me. The ugliness... And the honesty and the rawness of what anguish when it's prolonged and you're not getting answers and it makes no sense and it seems un.
just is what Job 1 through 37 is about. And this should encourage you. Listen to me. Don't you find yourself saying, oh, there's so many things I wish were in the Bible that are not, that we had some insights on. God had to make choices what he was going to give us. And he didn't think it was a waste of space to give you 37 chapters of a man's anguish. How many times can you say it? From how many different angles and how many different ways. But that's what you get in Job. Because listen to me, what it shows is God does care. And there's space and a place to just cry out and express your anguish. And he didn't shut it down. The Bible has about 1,200 chapters. And that means the average length of a book of the Bible is about 18 chapters. Is the average length. That makes Job two and a half times longer than the average book of the Bible. Why? Well, Christopher Ash, in his excellent commentary on Job, Job gives us an insight. If you want to study Job, oh my goodness, get Christopher Ash's commentary. I think it's the best. Christopher Ash, in his commentary on Job, says this God has given us 42 chapters in Job. Why? Well, maybe because when the suffering question and the where is God question and the what kind of God questions are asked, they cannot be answered on a postcard. If we ask what kind of God allows this kind of world, God gives us a 42 chapter book. Far from saying, oh, the message of Job can be summarized on a postcard or in a tweet. God says, come with me on a journey. A journey that will take time. There is no instant answer. Job cannot be distilled. It's a narrative with a very slow pace and long delays. Why? Because there is no instant working through grief. No quick fix to pain. No message of Job in a nutshell. Now, I don't send you to Job and say, if you're happy today, go read those 37 chapters and shake that off. No. But it's a place where when you say, is there any place that expresses it all can be such a comfort when you say, I'm not the first that has felt this. I'm not the first to want to express this. I'm not the first to be in a place like this. Yes. I would say it to you this way. You could write in your Bible next to Psalm 88 in the margin, Job 1 to 37, extended, unedited version. Right? When you, really, when you really can relate to something and you like it and there's reasons you like a movie, I want the unedited, uncut, director's edition, everything he meant. Give me all the scenes. I go and buy that. Limited edition. Anniversary. Job 1 to 37 is the unedited, full length extended version of anguish that really in some ways is summarized in Psalm 88. But let me show you what else we can learn and and be encouraged. Look at me. It's going to get better. This message is going to get better. If you're thinking, I am so sorry I came. Each point, (laughs) each point is going to get better. I know I've got you. It's dark. It's going to get better. Point number two, Psalm 88 shows how genuine faith can be tested and forged in the dark. Genuine faith can be tested and forged in the dark. You say, Brad, where do you see faith in this chapter? Oh my goodness, he's saying some wrong things about God, bad things about God, inaccurate things about God. I think he might even be mad at God. Woo, where is faith? Oh, listen to me. There are nuggets of faith that are tucked down into this dark chapter that are being forged in the furnace of suffering and silence and confusion. It's there. That's why this is a useful, helpful chapter. It's there. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Look at how he still prays to God, even though he's got no answer. Look at how he still prays to God. Even though he's got no answer, if you know anything about human nature and you live with your self, how long do we keep praying when we think, uh, 
I'm not getting answers. This isn't getting better. This isn't fixed. And here's what we like to say. Prayer doesn't work. It doesn't work. And what we really mean, it doesn't happen in a hurry. And if it doesn't happen in a hurry, I'm done. He's not. He's not. Look at how he still prays to God, even though he's gotten no answer. In fact, the fact that he's still praying to God and crying out to God, I believe is proof that hope has not died and his faith is still alive. Hope has not died and his faith is still alive. Look at verse one, I'll show you. Look at verse one. Oh Lord, God of my salvation, I have cried out. How often is he doing it? Say it again. Day and night. Day and night. I have cried out day and night before who? You. You. I keep bringing it to you. I keep crying out to you. The Hebrew for cry in that verse one is the word sak, that means a shout of desperation from someone who is in distress. This is not a quiet little mumbled prayer. A shout of desperation from someone who's in distress. I've cried out day and night. Look at verse two. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my, say it. Guess what? Not the same Hebrew word. Not the same Hebrew word for cry that's in verse one. In verse two, this Hebrew word for cry is the word rina. It's the word rina that refers to a loud utterance of emotion, especially when it is inarticulate. Isn't that encouraging? A loud utterance of emotion, especially when it is in artic- In other words, he's saying, incline your ear, O God, to my emotional babbling. Even when I don't have complete sentences and the right words and all my theology doesn't sound right, God doesn't say, whoa, 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 whoa. Get out of here. Clean that all up. Full sentences, stop periods, and make sure you only say right things about me or I'm not listening. What a good God. Emotional utterance, especially when it is inarticulate. It doesn't sound all right. But as his child, you can bring it to your father. I cry out. Look at verse 13. But to you I've cried out, O Lord. In the morning my prayer comes before you, and maybe you know where I'm headed here. This word in verse 13 is not the same word for cry. That's in verse 1. That's in verse 2. This is a word that meant to cry for help intensely. Intensely. The Hebrew language has some verb tenses and endings, and there's one verb tense called piel that the only way it's used is intense. Take whatever you're saying and ramp it up. And this word for cry never gets used in the Hebrew in the Bible any other way but in that tense, piel. And it's only used 22 times in the Bible. This intense crying out, this shouldn't surprise you. Eight of them are in the book of Job. Ten of them are found in the Psalms of Lamentation. Now, here's the point that I want to make. Why? Why would we have three different words for cry? I'm going to admit that I'm guessing, but I like my guess. I think it's that the Holy Spirit knew when you're in the depths of this kind of sorrow and suffering and confusing fusion, one word just cannot get at or adequately express the depth of your hurt and all that's going on. He comes at it from three different angles. I've cried out in desperation. I'm in distress. Some days I just utter utterances that are emotional, that are not even complete sentences. And some days I'm just, it's a cry 
that's intentional. I'm coming back to you, God. I'm coming back to you, God. I got nowhere else to go, but I saved my favorite for the last. There's more. There's one more instance. So I hope you're saying, seeing, this takes faith to not give up. It takes faith to keep coming to God and you don't see answers. You don't feel any better. Oh, here's my favorite when I saved for the last. Second half of verse nine. Look at this. Lord, I have called how often? Say it again. Daily, daily, I've called daily upon you. I have stretched out my hands to you. The word call means to make an appeal. He said, I'm making an appeal to you, God. I'm bringing it to someone. I'm making an appeal. Oh, God, what is going on? Oh, God, help. Oh, but here's what really moved me as I dug into this and so encouraged me that caused me to say, this is a man I want to emulate. You say, ooh, before you step back and say, I don't ever want to get to that place and say anything like he's saying. Oh, listen to me. I make an appeal to you daily. And the Hebrew word for stretched out, Hebrew word for stretched out in that verse means to spread out or open something from a closed or folded position. I spread out my hands before you. Do you understand what he's saying and what he's doing in verse nine? The psalmist, watch me, has gone from this to this and by God's grace has not yet resorted to this. I spread out my hands. I unfold my hands before you. To to who else can we go? I got nowhere else to go. I'm still looking to you. You're still my God. I'm still crying out to you morning and evening and daily. I'm not shaking my fist, but I am confused. But my hands are open as your child. I need you, need you, need you. Even though he's still in the dark, please note, not all of a sudden, oh, and there was light. You know, we'll all say, but oh my goodness, I went away and I had a day of prayer or had a weekend away alone with the Lord and two good girlfriends and there was a lifting. And we have those times, praise God. This chapter isn't describing one of those, my friends. And so here's what I appreciate. Though he is still in the dark, in a pit, In the dark in a pit, we can hear a sound coming from that pit. What is it? It's the cry of this man still crying out to God with his hands open, unfolded, stretched out for years. That's faith that is forged in the darkness, not outside of it. In the darkness, in the darkness. So never mind what's coming out of his mouth. Here's what I'd like to say. Those who are suffering intensely and especially those who are walking through a prolonged season of suffering, give them a grace card on exactly all the words that come out of their mouth. Does that make sense? Don't be so quick to say, well, that is not right. That is not right. That's not exactly right. Is there a place for helping someone with truth? If they're really stuck saying the wrong thing to themselves about themselves or God, yes. But don't be so quick. A lot of what's coming out of his mouth is ugly. I won't reread it, right? If you have any theological bearings at all, you could say, now that's not right. That's not exactly right. That is certainly not right. He shouldn't say that. Shouldn't even think that. But he's saying that. Yes, I get it. But my friends, this man has not lost or let go of his faith and hope in God in the dark. In the dark. Because here's what I want to press next. While we're talking about his prayers as an example of faith, oh my goodness, check this. As evidence of his faith, look at how he prays to God without any felt sense of his presence or favor in his life. 
Let's be honest again, right? As human beings and you live with your self, how long do we keep doing what we think is right when we don't feel it? And I'm not feeling any better. It hasn't changed how I feel. I still don't sense God's favor. Circumstances haven't changed. Ooh, not usually very long, do we? This man still prays without any felt sense of God's presence or favor. He's not crying out to God daily, morning and evening because he has warm, fuzzy feelings. He's already in a most raw and honest way told you how he feels. I feel like God is my enemy. I feel like God's wrath is rolling over me and engulfing me. I feel like I've been cut off from God and my friends. I feel like I've been abandoned. That's what his feelings are saying. Oh my goodness, his feelings are saying, and you are, and God is not faithful, and his promises are not true, and, 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 and despite all that his feelings would be screaming at him, he keeps crying out to God. Not about God to others, to God. Wow. Tim Keller gives a great explanation, I think, for why and how a season of suffering, prolonged season of suffering, could actually be something that takes you to another level of spirituality and could be a good thing. If you want to read a great book on suffering, get Tim Keller's book. I think it's one of the best. Walking with God through pain and suffering. But look at what he says. In the darkness, we have a choice that is not really there in better times. We can choose to serve God just because he is God. In the darkest moments, we feel we're getting absolutely nothing out of God or our relationship to him. But what if then, when it does not seem to be paying or benefiting you at all, you continue to obey, pray to And seek God, as well as continue to do your duties of love to others. If we do that, we are finally learning to love God for himself and not his benefits. And when the darkness lifts or lessens, we will find that our dependence on other things besides God for our happiness has shrunk. And that we have new strength and contentment in God himself. We'll find a new fortitude, unflappability, poise, and peace in the face of difficulty. You understand what he's saying? He's saying if you make the choice in the darkness, in the suffering, when it makes no sense, when it doesn't end quickly, when your feelings don't change... You make the choice to hold on to your faith and continue to look to God and cry out to him, lifting open hands, you'll find that the prolonged pressure, see, pressure's not fun, right? But all kinds of examples in life of where pressure can produce something wonderful. You could find that the prolonged pressure of the season of darkness can turn your heart into something wonderful, like a lump of coal that becomes a diamond. See, here's what I would want you to hear. This darkness does not have to destroy you, my friend. If you're guilty of thinking, the only way I'm going to continue to have my faith and hope in God and and live for his glory is if this lifts, this has got to go away, this has got to go away, this has got to go away. And don't hear me saying it's wrong to, to pray for it to go away. Please pray. Get your friends to pray. I'm praying for things in our own lives. But in the meantime, don't fall into the trap of thinking, and there's no way this could be good for us. Oh, no, 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 no. This darkness does not have to destroy you. Could it destroy you? Could you become bitter? Could you just throw in the towel and walk away from God and be that person that constantly shares with friends at work? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was a Christian. I went to church, but our baby died, but my husband died, but, 
And now that's why I have nothing to do. You could, but listen to me. The darkness could also be the defining moment that takes you to a place you've never been spiritually before. That would cause you to say, even with tears and some trepidation, I wouldn't trade this. Even if I could go back, I wouldn't trade what God has done in me through this. I'm a different person. I'm in a different place. Oh my goodness, his word is more alive to me. An awareness of the Holy Spirit who's my closest friend when others I feel like don't get it is so real to me now. Oh my goodness, my savior who never leaves me or forsakes me and my sweet communion with him in the dark watches of the night is my place where I am spiritually is beyond where it ever was or perhaps, listen to me friends, could have been without this darkness. I have a pastor friend and a biblical counselor that we were so much alike. I love him. I loved his... His, his marriage and his ministry. So many similarities. He was doing ministry in a church, doing biblical counseling and married to his delightful wife for 31 years with three sons. Vicki and I have been married 31 years. And then he got cancer. Aggressive cancer. And I prayed for them. We prayed for God to heal him. Please know Oh, we cried out for God. I tracked with the emails and the blogs and how the treatments were going, but God did not choose to heal him. Instead, three years ago, he died after all our prayers, leaving his wife reeling and his three sons reeling in sorrow. But I never stopped praying for her. I never stopped praying. I didn't. I never heard from her, but I never stopped praying. I took my prayer journal that had all these things I was praying for him when he was healthy, then all these things during his treatments, and I just began to pray for her. Oh, God, I cannot imagine what this must feel like, the loss of him. I'm going to pray for her. And I would write her cards. I didn't know if she was still at the same address or not, but they never came back. I'd write her cards. I'd send scripture. I'd pray. I'd cry out to God. And for the first time after three years, she wrote me back last week. Bless her heart, apologize. I'm so sorry. I'm like, I never expected an answer. But listen to what she said. She said, there is no way to describe the treacherous path of widowhood. The first months especially were so disorienting and overwhelming. I sometimes thought of it as walking through quicksand in the fog. In the early months of my widowhood, God faithfully delivered me from fearing and dreading the future. But... Attaining a smile for the future had in many ways eluded me. I didn't think there would ever be a smile again. After 31 years of marriage to a wonderful man, I truly felt like life after my husband's death went from full color to three years now of black and white. Oh, but listen to what she says next. And I don't mean to beat up on you, but you, you got to do. I continued to read my Bible. You've got to keep reading your Bible in the dark. You can't, there will not be enough Panera bread and lunch meetings with your girlfriend to do what God's word can do for you. You've got to keep reading the Bible. I continued to read my Bible and I wrote a note next to Psalm 42. I quoted Psalm 42 last week where the psalmist says, why so downcast on my soul? Hope in God, I shall yet praise him. She says, here's what I wrote. Quote, sometimes God teaches us effectually to know the worth of mercies by the want of them. You understand what she's saying? I wasn't sensing God's mercy. I want it. It seems to be lacking, but it makes me so grateful for all those years that I had a a very real awareness of it. It increased my sense of the worth of those mercies by the want of them. Of them. I wanted them so badly, a felt sense of his grace and mercy and goodness to me. But then listen to what she says. I can now say that I'm grateful for the black and white years, and God has given me true contentment because I've come to believe that God was asking me to live by faith 
alone in the truths that I knew and believed so deeply without the accompanying familiar emotions or any palpable awareness of his presence. You say, Brad, what kind of good dad would do that to a kid? God is good, you guys. God is good. And there'll be times he's sovereignly. He loves you, but he'll remove the palpable sense of his presence and the familiar emotions. And what can happen in your life does not have to be destructive. It can take you to a place where, oh my goodness, by faith alone, I believe it and hold on to it. And when the darkness lifts or lessens, you'll be at a place that's so much sweeter. The awareness of his presence, you'll never take it for granted again. You'll just say, this is so sweet. This is so good. It's not always like this. Oh, thank you, Lord. Faith can be forged in the dark. Genuine faith in the dark. But I will not have helped you as much as I want to if we don't get to the third point. So here it is. This darkness that is so real in Psalm 88, he doesn't airbrush it or tone it down in any way. It's raw. This darkness that is so real in Psalm 88, look at me, is never the last word for any believer, ever. Oh, it ends dark indeed. In fact, in the original Hebrew in verse 18, it is so fractured and so disjointed that you could translate the last phrase in verse 18. Oh, Darkness. Why would it end that way? I believe the fractured Hebrew poetry at the end of verse 18 is there because it expresses so well the shattered, fractured condition of the psalmist. And God knows there's still people today who find themselves in in periods that feel shattering, confusing, fractured, disjointed but listen to me we're not going to end on that note because the experience of Psalm 88 is never the last word for any believer oh yeah Psalm 88 is the darkest chapter in the book of Psalms guess what it's not the darkest chapter in the Bible by any means not even close The darkest chapter in the Bible can be found in the Gospels where God took on flesh and stepped into our dark, broken world for us. Stepped into our broken world and took on himself the darkness of our sins, all of them, and then drank the cup of God's dark wrath for us. Oh my goodness. The darkest moment in history is not being described in Psalm 88. Doesn't even come close. The darkest moment in history gets described in Matthew 27, beginning in verse 45, where it says, now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, that's three o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Ela, Ela, lama sabachthani. That is my God. My God, why have you forsaken me? Up until that point, folks, it's already been almost a 24-hour period of unimaginable suffering and anguish, and he never uttered a protest against any of it. He's already been betrayed, arrested, falsely accused, unjustly convicted, beaten, spit upon. And then crucified like a common criminal in the most public, shameful, painful way men ever devised as to how to kill someone in a painful, shameful way. That's what the crucifixion is. But in that ninth hour after enduring all that, he could no longer remain silent and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because that darkness in that moment on the cross was unlike any darkness any human being has ever experienced. R.C. Sproul says this, 
It represents the most agonizing protest ever uttered on the planet. It burst forth in a moment of unparalleled pain. His scream was the scream of the damned for us. Do you realize if you're here and you're a believer, oh, you may experience the darkness that's being described in Psalm 88. There's no guarantee you'll be shielded from that. But you, as a child of God, will never be damned by God. Ever. Ever. Because Jesus took your damnation on the cross for you. So that you'll never experience ultimate abandonment. Can you feel abandoned? You'll never experience utter darkness. And you'll never experience eternal damnation. Ever. Oh, hallelujah. What a savior. You may be in a pit today of darkness, surrounded by silence, languishing in suffering that has gone on for years, maybe even decades, and I cannot comfort you by giving you an explanation for why it's happening in your life. But look at me. It's not like I have no recourse. Like, what would I do to help someone like this? I can point you away from this present darkness, whatever it is in your life, and back to the one The one who suffered ultimate darkness and damnation for you so that your biggest problem is solved forever. Oh God, thank you for your word. Thank you for including the messy places, the gritty places, the confusing places that do represent how we feel sometimes. We don't say, oh my goodness, has anyone ever felt like that? Yes. Thank you for a savior. Oh, that we don't go through it alone. And this that we're suffering does not even come close to the suffering and the horror of eternal damnation separated from you and all good. Oh my goodness. Thank you for our savior. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for direct access to your throne. Thank you for your word we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.